Welcome to Artificially Intelligent Marketing, a weekly podcast where we stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, helping you get the best results from your marketing efforts. Now let's join our hosts, Paul Avery and Martin Broadhurst. Welcome to episode 14 of Artificially Intelligent Marketing. I'm getting better at saying that every week, Martin. I've been practicing um, in the shower, in, in the mirror, in the dog, every, every morning. Absolutely. Just getting focused and making sure I can rock it. Um, how are you, Martin, for episode 14? Are you good? I'm good. It's uh, Friday once again, and I've had a flaffle for lunch. That's very exciting. So, you know, I'm in a good space, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally, just all of it. I'm just in a just in a very good place. That's good. We need you centered because there's been a lot of AI news this week that we got to get through. Um, so lovely listeners, thanks for joining us again. We're going to look at our short snippets like we always do. Some really good little bits and pieces in there to cover. We're going to dive into our chunky main stories, which this week is going to include Apple's developer conference in which we saw the Vision Pro for the first time, uh, virtual reality, augmented reality headset, but also a ton of other things that involved AI, which they call machine learning Um, because they have to be different, of course, um, under the hood. So we're going to dive into that, which is cool. There has been a ton of generative image and video news this week. So we've lumped all of that into one big story for us to talk through. We're going to talk about DeepMind and um, their announcement around a generalized AI to optimize computing performance. And we're going to look at Meta's roadmap in terms of how large language models are going to be coming to your favorite tools that you already use, like WhatsApp and Messenger. And the tool of the week this week is going to be Gen 2, Runway ML's Gen 2 text-to-video creator, which is now easily accessible to all. So, with that in mind, let's get straight into our short snippets um, with some news from AI startup Cohere, raising $270 million to now be valued at $2.1 billion. Um, We've done quite a lot of Guess what? Another AI company got a ton of cash news, and this is another version of that. This puts Cohere up in the echelons of Anthropic and OpenAI and several others with very, very large valuations now based on the amount of cash that they're getting to fuel their large language model-based tools. Um, Cohere, many of you won't have heard of as much as some of the other companies we just mentioned, but their technology does underpin some of the writing tools that you might use, like I think, is it Jasper that uses Cohere? I think HyperWrite might use Cohere as well. Um, yeah, a lot. I think a lot of the tools are taking different models from all of the different providers, so they're part of the mix. You, you'll inadvertently have been using them if you're using any of these tools, I'm sure. Absolutely. And I think one of Cohere's things is to try and be sort of somewhat agnostic and allow lots of different tools to basically leverage it and deploy it how they see fit. Yeah, they're very much positioning themselves in recent months as being for the enterprise as well. That that is where they've um, been doing a lot of their their messaging, if nothing else. Absolutely. So again, watch that space as we see all of these companies getting ever more money as um, private equity and other investment vehicles bet on AI as the next big thing. Um, let's hope it doesn't turn out to be too much of a, of a bubble. Um, in terms of the next short snippet, um, we're going to talk very briefly about how 
Mark Walters from Georgia has uh, decided to sue OpenAI over claims made by ChatGPT that he embezzled funds, um, which is absolutely false. And it was a hallucination by ChatGPT and it's not real. So further examples of what happens when ChatGPT makes stuff up and the carnage it can cause. Um, so that fits in with the story that we mentioned uh, last week, Martin, where the, a lawyer was using it for research. <laughs> yeah, the other side of the coin. <laughs> yeah. um, I haven't dug too deep into this story, but one could imagine that if you if you prompted the tools just right, I, I reckon I could probably get ChatGPT to make some stuff up about me potentially and then maybe i can uh, come up with a cool well case. that's the detail that's missing from the story I, I read this um i read the report and i read a couple of them and that's the detail that is ultimately missing like what was the conversation thread that is the 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 whole essence of it i know that it was a question around um oh i don't have it to hand now um but it was a specific legal case and this radio host wasn't involved in it at all and i think the person went back and asked it to clarify the details and it kind of doubled down on it as well which i think um made the situation slightly worse right right cool um another short snippet is a another funding announcement so this is light matter that received 154 million dollars in new funding this is an interesting one because light matter is developing a form of optical optical computing so it's a mixture of hardware and software that aims to be more efficient, faster and cheaper, but to run AI models quite specifically. I'm sure there'll be other applications, but the one they're focusing on at the moment is that. Um, this is hot on the heels of some of the discussions we've been having, Martin, about how much energy it takes to run the uh, the compute power needed to run these models, how much water is required to kill, cool the server farms and all that stuff. Um, so this is a company that's trying to help solve for some of that. And obviously... Um, convincing a number of other people with money that it's a goer. Um, so they're hot on the heels of some of those challenges. There was a report from Salesforce this week that found that 51% of marketers are using generative AI at work, with the most popular applications being, as you might have expected, content and copy creation. But I think this is this is part of an emerging trend that I'm starting to see when I'm talking to more and more people in the market, that they not only are aware of these tools, but they've tried them and they're playing with them and they're seeing how they might fit into their workflows. Yeah, I saw something else this week that said um, people are on average using ChatGPT six times and then going, bah, I'm done with it now. Yeah, uh, which certainly isn't my, I'm using it six times a minute at the moment. Um, but uh, that was an interesting thought that actually the early adopters are, are all in on it but now as we're starting to see more and more people get familiar with it they're using it but not not really diving in with both feet mm. that's a good question for me to ask um folks because i definitely think the tools are quite iterative they're good at certain things and it's quite hard to get good outputs out of them for other things and i do think you have to have a bit of sticking power in terms of figuring out how you're going to make them work for you um, so I guess that fits because if you don't have that sticking power, you might be like, oh, it's pretty useless. Um, as an example, I've been experimenting. I might have mentioned this before. I'm using a tool at the moment called Audio Pen, which is pretty cool. You um, you record a short audio snippet, like I think it's up to three minutes. So I'm basically using it for idea collection when I'm walking the dog and the stuff at the moment. 
and not it doesn't just transcribe it but it uses probably gpt4 i don't know a large language model to turn it into coherent text so that if you wanted to share it with someone else or read it yourself later and have it make sense rather than, than the rambling that you get when you do a voice note it's actually really quite good for that but what i found is i really wanted that same thing but to be able to draft emails for me but the emails so i'll record an audio snippet and then i'll like push it into chat gpt but the emails are never in my voice like it sounds they're either like way too corporate or if i'm like hey i'm could you could you chatty this up a bit it's like hey dude some ideas <laughs> so it's like it goes all the way the other way like I, i'm either like running i'm either ceo of like a 25 billion dollar company or i'm running a surf shack and it doesn't seem to know there is no in between Not... but i think that that's how i see you you're a five billion dollar ceo that is running a surf shack and i'm always like he just seems poorly primed for either of those positions to be honest i couldn't agree more it's like i, I think it depends on what day i run it right it knows i'm big time <laughs> charlie on a monday but um, down the beach, cats and some waves on a Tuesday. So that's probably how it's, it's figuring Just it on, out. It's a great example of the voice note because we spoke about this with um, Whisper and the Whisper integration and uh, Zapier. And that, I think that's maybe where to, you can play around with that a little bit. Try it with Zapier, try the voice note, save it to a Google Drive, stick it into... Because um, if you, I guess, if you were to, in your prompt, put some examples of your existing email tone it would then start to reflect that so that would be an interesting one to play with we should we should uh we should take this offline and, and give it a go yeah i think definitely there must be some sort of tool or zapier that you can build that in essence primes it every time on your voice by actually automatically giving it quite a comprehensive prompt and then of course at some point when copilot goes live and bard is integrated into gmail one assumes this won't be a problem at all anyway. So certainly not a tool I would build to try and commercialize because I think in three months it would be dead in the water. <laughs> but in terms of a quick zap to create that might do some cool stuff that currently I'm not able to do, completely agree. Um, while we're talking about Bard and Copilot and all these things, um, the other short snippet this week is that Bard can now execute co code as well as write it. Execute code as well as write it. Martin, you pick this one up. Can you elaborate a bit for us on that uh i mean it's as the story says there to be honest um it's it's able to it's given it more reasoning capabilities um which is just extending its its powers really i didn't get a great deal more from it than that where is the article it says google has unveiled a major new update to its ai chatbot bard that significantly improves its powers of logic and reasoning uh, it has a new technique called implicit code execution that enables Bard to detect computational prompts and run code in the background. Ooh. So that's what it's doing. And the result is that Bard should theoretically be able to respond more accurately to mathematical tasks and coding questions uh, as it will have already tested the outcomes that it proposes. So in terms of really ramping up its capabilities, I think that's um, that's quite a step up. That does sound interesting, but it's not it deploys code in the wild. It's like, here's some code. And by the way, make it so that it will actually run as a on a server or as a web app or whatever. Yeah, correct. It's just kind of running it in the background and throwing the result back to you. Cool, cool. While we're on this topic, because we love a tangent here at Artificially Intelligent Marketing, as you will know, dear listener, and we appreciate your patience, 
because of that. Um, I was playing with ChatSpot, so HubSpot's chat tool, this week. And I hadn't really gone back to it for like three or four weeks because basically everything I asked it to do, it couldn't do. Um, it kept mm. sort of saying, I know what you want, but I can't do that yet. <laughs> or it went, I don't know what you want. And then neither of which are responses that were particularly useful to me. Um, but it's they've changed how it works. So it's not on the old URL anymore. It's been redeployed in some other way. Done. A, I think they're moving into that part where maybe they might be ready to move from alpha into beta because it just got a ton better. Mm, like, interesting. Like miles. So I had a new business call this week and I was like, I just wrote in natural language, tell me about company X. And my goodness, it told me how many employees, uh, revenue. It told me um, a short summary of the company. It told me what technologies they were using to underpin their marketing and sales tech stacks. It told me that they were on WordPress and all this stuff, all in one output. And up Which is, that's interesting because that's the, the content that you get from uh, the... The AI insights that HubSpot's been providing anyway for a long time. So the data enrichments that, that HubSpot has been providing through HubSpot Insights, they're obviously integrating that knowledge base and database into ChatSpot now. And that's I've not had to play with it. Like you, I, I kind of left it for a few weeks. So that's interesting. I will definitely get, get into it. Well, and that was the type of question I was asking it previously. And it was saying, I know what you want, but I can't I can't do it. Um I think the other thing is it's the little things that it's adding in. So it also tells you um, how many followers they've got online. Um, it tells you how many locations they've got. Then there's some handy buttons. So you can click SEM summary and it will tell you what SEO, so organic keywords they rank for, but it will also tell you what paid ads they bid on. So, and that's just by clicking a button. So you can quite quickly... Um, really gather some interesting data on a company just from its name but and quite iteratively and, and and so if you had a play with it when the alpha first launched and you were like ah, crumbs it promises loads of cool stuff but it can't do it go have a play because if my play this week is anything to go with it has vastly improved vastly improved so that's pretty cool mm-hmm. um Right, let's get into the actual main stories, um, although hopefully those snippets were a few deep dives that were still useful. And we'll get into story number one, and this is Apple's developer conference, uh, which was real cool. I'm a bit of a tech nerd. Um, I know you enjoyed this, Martin. Tell us, what did you take away from um, Apple's news and launches this week? Well, one hot take that I read on Twitter was that... Uh, Apple is in trouble because they are not focusing on AI right now. Really? <laughs> it They've was got the, an issue. <laughs> it was the hottest of hot takes. I thought, wow. Um, yeah. They've, it, they've got this machine learning thing. Like, I don't know what that is, but they've got AI. Not interested no AI. In They're not an AI first company. <laughs> yeah. And it was interesting that they didn't mention AI throughout the keynote once, but I don't know what the count was for the number of times they said machine learning. Uh, but machine learning is coming to pretty much everything. I mean, not that it wasn't baked into the whole system anyway, but there's some really interesting new examples. Um, one of which that everyone will be, uh, everyone with an iOS device will be happy about, um, particularly if they're a little bit fruity in their language, will be the new autocorrect coming to iOS 17, which is powered by on-device machine learning. And it actually has a transformer-based language model on-device capable of not just auto-suggest for a language, 
but um, auto suggest for language generation. So I guess it's going to be similar to autocomplete on Gmail and things like that. So finally, uh, that autocorrect that everybody gets when they type in the F word and it switches it to ducking, um, well, uh, that, that will no longer be the case. I was fascinated um, here, Martin, by the on-device machine mm. learning because there was, so maybe we'll get into the headset in a moment and the Vision Pro, but there are a number of things there where they really touched on protecting user security and information while they were talking about how it works. And we've talked previously about how on-device machine learning models might be needed to help people feel comfortable that their personal data and other things are not being shared in the cloud and used to train models or accessible by, by others. And this is the first time I can remember really a key tech player or software player talking about how their models are being run locally rather than in the cloud. Yeah, and we saw it coming, didn't we? Really? We, we kind of forecast this with the investment and the, the capabilities that were never quite uh, fully tapped in the M chips. And that was yeah, yeah, absolutely. Indicative of it. Uh, so we've also got dictation in iOS 17, getting a new transformer-based speech recognition model. iPad OS P PDF features use machine learning models to identify form fields. That's pretty neat. That's pretty That's, cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's loads of these things. So AirPed, uh, AirPeds. <laughs> Where can I get <laughs> those? The AirPeds. <laughs> yeah. The, not sure what that was. That sounds like some sort of basketball uh, performance and hunting drug, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> or sort of very special trainers. Can I get me some Nike yeah, AirPods, yeah. please? <laughs> uh, so AirPods, adaptive audio features, use machine learning to understand your listening preferences over time. The smartwatch, the Apple Watch, is getting a smart stack widget to show the relevant information. Journal app on iOS 17 uses on-device machine learning to provide personalized suggestions based on photos locations uh music and workouts you've got the animated eye display on the aforementioned apple vision pro headset which is coming in at a bargain price of 3499 usd um and that's being created using the most advanced machine learning techniques on an advanced encoder decoder neural network and then the M2 Ultra chip in the Mac Studio and the Mac Pro uh, has been announced and it's powerful enough to train. This was interesting, to train large transformer models and other massive machine learning workloads. As we did discuss previously, right? Mm. They're absolutely leaning into that. I thought that was a fascinating bit of, no um, a bit of noise. <laughs> Hopefully not noise, a bit of news. Fascinating <laughs> bit of noise that the Apple team started making. Love the noise. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. You talk about $3,499 for the Vision Pro, and there's two camps forming. One's a massive camp and one's a small camp. Some people think, wow, that's outrageously expensive. And other people are like, that is not expensive at all. That is a bargain. And I started in the expensive camp, but now that I really think about the technology that's in that headset and what it potentially could replace... It's it's uh, that uh, price. It's not a bargain, but it's potentially really good value when you actually think about it. Yeah, it's. I mean, let's cards on the table. It is expensive, like, but it's not. It's it's not ludicrous, and it's not for everybody. Yeah. Like, yeah. But there was an interesting tweet from Robert Scoble who um, tweets all sorts of stuff about AI all the time, and he put an interesting comment saying that. 
when he was really jealous of Wozniak at Apple when he got his first like color printer way back when and it was wildly unaffordable and now you can pick up the same printer for like or, or a printer 10 times better sorry or 100 times better even for like 70 dollars and and that's just the nature of technology when things come to the market when real innovative technology comes to the market it's expensive and not everybody can have it and then the price comes down over time that's the nature of it so we can all sit here and go oh that's so expensive but you know fast forward three or four years and do you know what it's probably going to be about 1500 quid and that's just where we are i did think actually because you've got the battery pack as well haven't you um and is the battery pack an additional 1500 or something i saw something saying that all in it was somewhere in the region of just over five thousand. Oh, you have to buy the battery the battery pack separately i did not know that that seems unlikely but i guess it's possible yeah maybe it was a, a spare battery i don't know i saw someone on twitter saying it and i didn't do a deep dive into it um i did it didn't make me sit up and think okay if you're at the 5k territory that is that's getting in quite insane yeah it's no. um i guess it comes down to the difference between cost and value i completely agree it's a high cost for most people if you know, most people um i think my point was more when you look at the technology is in it it's potentially you get quite a lot of value for the money but it's yeah there's no getting away from it that it's a high cost especially when you compare it to other vr headsets on the market and also similar technologies like high definition 8k tvs or whatever mm. right like so yeah i'm i guess we need to keep on the ai i can't help i'm a bit of a vr nerd as well as an ai nerd so i can't help but get um pretty excited about that stuff i, d I did see the um uh in fact i think we, we might touch on it later but zuckerberg's email response basically going ah they're not doing anything that special it's fine <laughs> mm, i'll be interested to see how that plays out i think there'll be the, the look and click mechanism of use from the few people who've been using it, um, I get the impression is really very intuitive in terms yeah, of you. very much so. Yeah, you look at something, you, the eye tracking picks up what you're looking at, you just touch your fingers together to, to as a click and how intuitive. So look, I, one, of, one of the things here that we don't know how it's going to play out necessarily is will this transform a category that's struggled to get going and as marketers if this starts to become a dominating way of how people interact with content and information we're of course going to have to keep that in mind right because we're going to be able to create new experiences how people interact with their content is going to change um so it's just i think we need to keep it in mind from that perspective the key question that it will take probably several years to really unpick is will this be a leap forward enough to overcome some of the issues of technology until now and to be honest seeing someone's eyes through the front of the screen is either going to work or is not like so for those that are not aware the uh, vision pro headset vr headset you has a screen on the front of it in essence that shows the user's eyes under certain conditions so that if martin's on the using the headset and i walk into the room it's almost as if an opaque window on the front of the headset suddenly goes clear and I can see Martin's eyes as I have a conversation with him. But of course, I'm not looking at Martin's eyes. I'm looking at a digital representation of them. Basically, there is a camera on the inside of the headset that's photographing the eyes so I can see them and I can see where Martin's looking and stuff like that. 
And I think we're either going to adapt to that type of thing and go, oh, yeah, that's kind of normal. I like to see where people's eyes are when I have a conversation with them. Or it's going to be one of the weirdest experiences we've ever had because we're going to see these weird floating eyes. It, I think it's going to be in that territory of the, does it fall in the uncanny valley realm where it's kind of almost right, but just a little bit off? Because am I right in saying that it's not quite like a photo of it it's almost it makes it scans your face doesn't it and it makes so, a so that's for facetime so there's like a right, okay. 3d representation of you for facetime that is very uncanny valley not not probably better than like a computer game character but not as good as a cg character in a movie probably somewhere in between based on the examples i've seen as I understand it, the eyes that you see is a real-time video feed of your actual uh, okay. eyes. But of right. course, they're not your eyes. They're a, it's a display. It tries to make it look like the device is see-through. It's not see-through, right? So I think we're either going to adapt to that and it's going to be quite normal. And over time, as technology gets thinner and more glass-like, probably never glass-like, or never 2,000 years maybe it's glass-like. I think it's going to be hard to get these things right down with the level of power and computing that they're trying to do and sensors that they're trying to do into a pair of glasses although there are ar glasses out there that you can watch tv on that look like normal glasses and by watch tv i mean a virtual display um but hey maybe we'll do an ar vr special but for now we probably because i could talk about this for hours mine we probably should get back to the what were the last bits here um of Apple's developer conference that really stuck out to you. Um, in anything else to, that uh, listeners need to know about? Um, not a huge amount. I just think it's interesting that the focus here is on very much on features and applications of machine learning rather than the the tech and the models. If you contrast that to the recent Google I/O event, so the Google developer conference, where I think every fourth word was AI. They just didn't talk about that here. And we, we came away from Google I.O. hearing about um, Palm, at, uh, or should I say Palm 2 and MedPalm and uh, Music LM and, and various other models, whereas the focus didn't, didn't seem like that's what was going on at Apple. They were more interested in what the features and functionality of their equipment was. Now, obviously, they did talk about throughout the conference itself, Core ML and Create ML, which are uh, models that developers can access to build and extend the functionality of their apps, and they look very cool in and of themselves. Uh, I would actually recommend that people check out the Apple developer website to see some of the capabilities because they really are allowing developers quite a lot of um, power to extend the, the functionality of of some of their apps. Uh, but yeah, I just thought it was interesting. They're not talking about even when they're talking about the um, the transformer model that that's on the the on device they're not telling you anything about that model <laughs> they're not telling you if it's an open source one that they one that they've trained themselves they're not making great claims about its capabilities they're just saying there's on device uh, machine learning yeah i mean again I probably could spend an hour just talking about apple um in essence they run a closed ship and a closed system. And for me, there's a reason they're not using the word AI. And that's because everyone else is. They probably want to see if there's a way they can own machine learning instead. 
Do they want to talk about other people's models? No. Why do they want to give credence to other people's models and work? They'll probably just want to make everything very Apple-centric. And hey, they may be in-house proprietary models that they've built. Um, but either way, I don't think we'd we'd get to know. Um, I just want to clarify one thing on that Vision Pro cost that I said. I've just Googled it, and I cannot find any other reference to an additional fee for the battery. So I think I was uh, led astray with that tweet. There we go. That's clarification for you. That would be a significant bump up in the cost to be it able to be. like not be tethered to a plug socket. That yeah. So okay, cool beans. Right, let's move on to our next story, um, which is going to be about the significant amount of generative video and image news this week. So we're going to crack through a load of it, and then we'll unpick it a bit and talk about what it means for marketers. So. We'll start with the quick one first because we're going to dive a bit deeper into this in our tool of the week. But Runway ML has made its Gen 2 text-to-video tool more widely available. So we've talked a bit about this on the podcast previously. It was in a closed beta. Now, in effect, anybody with a Runway ML account can use the tool. And we've been playing with it. So we'll talk about that later. We had news um, that ClipDrop, which is the stability AI image tool that I think Martin provided as a tool of the week a few episodes ago have released a new tool within that suite called uncrop which i think is a great name which is basically a generative fill tool for expanding images beyond its borders a little bit like adobe firefly can do which we've talked about in previous episodes having had a quick play with it it's really quick and easy to use and for the really tough examples i gave it I think it may have even done a better job than Adobe Firefly, if I'm honest. More testing is required, but it's certainly not a junk tool. It looks like it could probably do some pretty cool stuff. Um, while we're talking about images, of course, then we had Adobe Express, um, which now includes generative AI tools. So this is a beta. As the website says, you can create video marketing and social content, edit photos and PDFs. Make it amazing with all Adobe, uh, Adobe powers all in one app, including generative AI tools from Adobe Firefly and easy one-click tasks like removing backgrounds. Um, and a lot of this leans into generative AI, so text-to-image and text-to-text effect, but all baked into Adobe Express, which is a really cool tool for quickly knocking up um, banner images for social and little animated GIFs and stuff like that. And um, so that's pretty cool. And then the final bit of news here um, is Adobe Firefly for Enterprises arrived um, so that businesses can leverage that. I think we've talked previously about some of the comfort, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Copyright issues related to, to using generative AI, especially for image generation because of what were the tools trained on and was it copyrighted images and Will those tools get in trouble later? Will users of those tools get in trouble later? Well, now enterprises can lean into generative um, generative AI to create images and, uh, and amend images. But one of the most interesting things about this was that businesses can train Firefly on their brand-specific assets. So this might make it easier to really, at scale, produce lots of content for your business if you're able to train it on your brand colors, the typical imagery that you use and all that good stuff. So that sounds pretty cool. But what really caught my eye here, and I will take a breath so we can go a bit deeper into this together in a minute, Martin, is some of the stuff that's now on the Adobe Firefly landing page, which includes sketched image and sketched vector creation, 
the example that we know will be the best possible version of it that plays on the page is very cool. A designer has knocked up some sketch examples for um, some letters for a logo, highlights them and asks for some vector-based variations and then proceeds to edit them in, I guess, what would be perhaps Adobe Illustrator. That was pretty cool. There's an example where you can change the mood, atmosphere or even the weather in a video through a text prompt. So describe what you want it to look like and it will change the colors and the settings to match. And the example there is um, some sort of wooden shack in a grassy field in summer that they then change it to being in winter and then they play the video and the snow falls. That's a pretty insane example if it turns out um, that that actually is easy to duplicate when you have to do it yourself. And then the last example on the page was high quality 3D renders where you can turn very simple 3D compositions into photorealistic images. And the example here is a simple render of a watch that then they give a leather strap to and different um, treatments of what the watch face might look like if it was made of like silver or different types of alloys and all this type of stuff. And again, very impressive. And I should state they are on the coming soon section part of the site, right? It's not that you can get these now, but one assumes they wouldn't be showing us these examples if they weren't relatively close within the next six to 12 months of being able to launch those. So some of loads going on at the moment in text to image and text to video, and actually some really cool things that even at the beginning of this a few months ago, I wouldn't have realized we'd have that power to hand so quickly. So Martin, what do you think about all of this explosion in text to image and text to video? Difficult to know where to start. There's been so much in there. I'm going to park runway uh, Gen 2 for a minute because we're going to obviously go through that one as our tool of the week. But Clip Drop uh, Uncrop, it, you're right, it is a great name. Uh, I do love that one. I've been playing around with it and I like it. So it throws out four different variations of the uh, uncropped image and it does a really neat job although i am looking at one that i've created here which has got the most uh dreadfully ghoulish looking ai generated human face on it that i've ever seen it's it's quite scary <laughs> uh, but no it it does a good job and this is available for free at the moment so if anyone wants to go and play with it um get stuck in over there you don't need the pro account and it is generating pretty quickly as well so uh, it's, there's just so much going on in this space. I think it's a really exciting time to be a creative. When I'm demoing this to people at the moment, um, so I did a workshop last week and was showing people um, the kind of these similar capabilities. Uh, people really sit up and pay attention because things that, for instance, the workshop that I was doing recently was with some small business owners, uh, kind of business coaches, consultants, that kind of thing. Uh, they don't necessarily have a team of designers and what on hand all of the time. So showing them that, hey, look, you can use this generative fill. Um, you can expand that image that wasn't quite aligned correctly. So you couldn't crop it as a square. Now you can crop it as a square and it it works. It's really useful. <laughs> These are just, you don't have to be a designer to, to figure it out now. So uh, I love it. The, the, uh, Firefly examples are really exciting. Um, the ones that you you mentioned there, the the vector ones are going to be very very cool. But I'm really interested in the the enterprise. That's where things are going to get interesting from a 
the question that always comes back to me whenever I'm demoing this tech at the moment is can we do it with our brand colors? Can we do it with our brand assets? Can we do it with, you know, how much do I need to, can I train it? Can This is from people that are kind of right at the beginning of their AI journey. And now you're going, yeah, yeah, you can. <laughs> uh, okay, not immediately. You've got to sign up and speak to uh, the sales team to get this. But ultimately, this is going to be uh, creating assets that are on brand in seconds with simple text prompts, as it says. Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, there are some tools that promise this, but I've never personally, and I'm obviously not a designer, come across anything that really does it with the type of robustness that I'm looking for. But like I create one banner ad or even a print ad. And then I say, right, I need, you know, 320 by 320. I need a leaderboard, da, da, da. like the power and the accuracy and the quality of these generated images at this point, I would trust this tool to go ahead and, and produce all of the variations I need to run a campaign across a variety of different platforms, probably at the click of a button. Um, and, and obviously that's not quite here yet, at least not in the Adobe tools as I see them, but it can't be far away. Um, and that just allows you to deploy those campaigns very quickly at scale. Now plug that into a programmatic ad management tool or Google Display Network. Well, now you're now you're powered to run different messaging variants, subtly different image variants, but on the same theme, all still in your brand colors. One assumes you could do even easier at scale. So there's there's a load of cool stuff, isn't there, that potentially comes from this in terms of high quality outputs quickly at scale. Yeah, and I think that goes to the discussion we were having about Meta's generative AI tools for, for advertisers as well. I think there's going to be quite a lot of overlap, isn't there, with these kind of tools. Um, so, yeah, it's just an interesting space to, to watch at the moment. I don't do a great deal of design, but I have found that these kinds of uh, functions, particularly I, I, I knock things up in Canva pretty quickly, um, but having the the magic edit, the um, the magic eraser, having that at your fingertips is it speeds up my workflow, and that's great because quite honestly, I hate any graphic design. Yeah, I think definitely on the execution front, and actually like creating the assets, I think is a big help. It has been interesting. We've been working on a series of creative campaign projects over the last month or two at Biostrata and I personally have been experimenting with some image generation tools to see how they might support with that. So Photoshop's generative AI, uh, generative image tools, Midjourney, and our team presented some concepts to a client recently um, in collaboration. You know, we built a team, a creative team um, on that, a creative director, um, scientific copywriter, brand strategist, and the ideas that they came up with and the concept, uh, the example concepts, they just blew away anything I've been able to generate on any tools, honestly. Like you get a proper team together who know an audience, know an industry, know how to create compelling campaign creative. You have them ideate and then you have enough, some, them knock something up and then take something through to final concept. AI tools are miles away from being able to do that, in my opinion, because because what we were able to generate through that process is just way better. Um, mm. And in order to try and see what 
avenues you could go in. I've been playing with Midjourney to try and even riff on some of the themes we'd already created. But the ability to really get what you want out of Midjourney, and this obviously could be a limitation um, in our skill sets and our experience using Midjourney, it's just you can get cool stuff. But can you get the thing you want? That is mm. very iterative, takes, at least in my hands, hours, and is probably not the most efficient or effective way to do it. No, not if you're, you know, if you you are a designer, if you're a creative, like I just don't think like this, but if, if you are that person, you have something in your mind and you know what you want to do to get there and you've already got all of those tools and heuristics that help you get your job done quickly. You're not sitting there basically at the whim of an AI <laughs> typing in a sentence and then going, let's see what for it comes up with this time. No, they're all shit. <laughs> like that, such an inefficient waste of, of time. If you're a creative, you know how to get there. Agreed. I, I think you could probably be inspired by the things that you see, but I don't think they're going to be the things that you're that often you're going to produce. Um, I should caveat: I've seen some pretty awesome things generated by Midjourney that are for brands that, as a creative agency, you could use to pitch a brand to get their work. We've talked about some of them on the on the podcast previously so so i do think there are certain niche outputs that you're looking for that mid journey is good at that you can use for the where a potential game changer might be on this is that sketching tool right because mm. presumably i know the example is a logo or you know a stylized b i think is one of the examples but presumably if i have a vision and um, one of the great creative directors we worked with in the past does a lot of sketch work as initial concepts. But to be able to click a button that then creates a stylized, more polished image based on that sketch at the click of a button could be really quite interesting. Right, let's jump into story three, Martin. This is about DeepMind announcing generalized AI to uh, optimize computing performance. Um, tell us a bit more about this. Yeah, at first glance, you could be forgiven for thinking that this uh, is a bit of a yawn story. Um, but actually, it's it's quite big. And I think marketers and AI enthusiasts, generally speaking, should be very interested in it. So DeepMind has announced some uh, new applications of its AI models. So AlphaZero, MuZero, and AlphaDev. And what they've found is that they're able to take these what are basically general purpose um, AI models. So you might remember AlphaZero was trained to play games and you had AlphaGo and it learned the game Go and became a, a world champion and beat the world champion back in 2016. Um, and that kind of blew away people's kind of uh, expectations for what we can think of the capabilities of AI. Now, these models have now been put into real world applications and to try to optimize different computer systems. And what they've done is basically three big things. One that they've, um, they've driven particularly good advances in data center optimization. So optimizing the hardware within data centers, uh, video compression, they've been working on that which is uh for a company like google which has youtube uh, that's quite impactful and they've also uh discovered faster algorithms 
for sorting and searching. So it can seem a bit dry, but please bear with me. <laughs> um, alpha zero has been used to reduce underutilized hardware at Google's dental centers. I can't speak today. Dental centers. At the dentists. At the, at the dental centers. Are you sure uh, that's the get... tooth? <laughs> Is that the whole tooth and nothing but the tooth, Martin? <laughs> they're getting the drills and saying, yep, the, this drill isn't used enough. We're going to un make sure it's properly utilized. Anyway, right, back to the, the, the We real might get word. complaints this week, Martin. <laughs> we might actually get complaints. And they, I, on, I might complain. It's warranted, isn't it? Bless you, dear listener. Um, Google's data centers. So they've been able to reduce underutilized hardware by 19%, which is massive. Uh, so it's improving resource utilization by recognizing tasks as they come into the hardware and allowing it to make better decisions about what hardware should be used to do a task. You can, the kind of visual example I saw of it made me think of, you remember when you used to have to defrag your hard drive all the time? You're like, oh, my PC is full, you have to defrag it. <laughs> I need to do that with my brain. But yeah, I do also <laughs> remember that uh, on the hard drives. Well, that seems like what this is doing, basically. It's real-time defragging of the uh, of the data centers is the best way I could describe it. Then you've got Mu Zero, which um, DeepMind have been working in collaboration with YouTube. And this doesn't sound like much, but when you think about this at scale, it's massive. They've been able to reduce the video bit rate by 4% without impacting visual quality. So it optimizes individual frame compression and how the frames are then grouped. And it suggests um, that there is much broader poten potential applications for video compression. Video makes up the vast majority of data that we send globally around the internet. So if you can shave off, if you can compress videos by 4% without losing any, any issue, well, without degrading the video quality that's enormous that's you know that's a really significant saving on on bandwidth and energy and then finally alpha dev a version of alpha zero has discovered faster sorting and hashing algorithms enhancing efficiency in sorting short sequences uh, by 70 percent and longer sequences by 1.7 percent so hashing Efficiency has been approved by 30%, all of which uh, basically says that uh, data retrieval and searching and sorting of data is going to become more efficient, which, like I say, bear with me, this is a bit dry, but it just means that if this gets applied to, um, if you're, you're an e-commerce store, right, and you can tap into these models for your your store's search engine, you've got maybe hundreds of thousands or millions of SKUs. Um, the retrieval is going to increase by, again, it's, it's tiny amounts, it's milliseconds, they're shaving milliseconds off, but milliseconds count for user experience. It's going to be using less energy, dramatic reduction in energy. I saw one um, industry commentator saying it's going to take like 30% of the amount of energy to do um, a searching and sorting compared to what it is currently if you were to apply this this mechanism. So it's something of a, of a dry topic, but I think when we listen to publications from DeepMind, quite often 
the application seems somewhat abstract with the exception of something like, you know, the protein folding, which was obviously um, pretty massive. But when it's like, oh, we can train a model to be anyone at chess or at Go or look at them, they've applied AlphaGo to this Atari video game and it's just completed it quicker than any human could ever. You go, that's super cool. But now we're starting to see this come into this, the same technology, the technology that started off just playing Atari and playing Go. We're now starting to see this come into real world applications where at a global scale, it can actually make a difference on both energy efficiency and user experience and more. Yeah. Do you know what I thought was cool about this story? And this is me speaking as a novice in a lot of these topics is if I understood correctly, what actually happened was DeepMind asked AI tools to try and solve computer and software problems that humans had run out of ideas for solving. And then the algorithms, AlphaDev, was able to actually find new ways of compressing information or achieving and overcoming these technical issues um, in ways that humans hadn't thought of. And so therefore, what other domains are we going to be able to apply AI? That, you know, we've run out of ideas to solve this problem. AI, what would you do? Right. And because this is the first evidence that I know of, of AI being given a tough problem where humans are gone that we're stumped now. We've got all the optimization out of this that we can. What do you think? Secretly probably thinking humans have done a good job of this. There's not going to be any opportunities in there. AI is not going to find anything. And then look at the amazing stuff it found. So I think that will be really interesting to see how that plays out. Yep. And I think that's where DeepMind are heading. And that's why training this the approach that they've taken with alpha zero is so interesting because they've just trained this machine to just without telling it the rules of the game but telling it the objective and then letting it kind of run with that and and play against itself and basically millions and millions of of playthroughs of a scenario it just finds better strategies Really interesting, really powerful um, approach to problem solving. Yeah, absolutely mind-blowing. Right, for the final story of today, we're going to talk a little bit about Meta's roadmap. Um, so Mark Zuckerberg um, has outlined Meta's plans for the future in an all-hands meeting this week, highlighting how AI and the Metaverse will align with the company's vision. Um, actually, you know, They've gone so all in on the metaverse, Martin, but they've been really good at AI. They've got loads of smart AI people doing loads of great work. They must have been like, ah, crumbs. We went all in on the metaverse and it was AI that exploded and we're really good at that. Yeah, and that, in, to their credit, they've been really big contributors to the open source community in, in AI as well. So uh, that must yeah. be somewhat frustrating. Yeah, so he's obviously like, right, we're really good at AI. We're not going to give up the metaverse. We're going to bring those things together and um meta's going to continue to be a really successful company and then in the uh, in the all hands they introduced plans for their ai powered assistance across all meta apps trying to make these technologies more accessible to users and they also revealed that they were working on project 92 which sounds like um an order to kill all jedi from the star wars universe to be honest but there you go um, which is a social app similar to twitter uh, and they've also got plans to improve Instagram's reels to better compete with TikTok. So 
it's sort of a galvanizing we're good at ai we're still believe in the metaverse we realize our competitors are doing all these cool things we're doing cool things and we're going to be successful with our cool things what was your take on this uh, new story mine they are bringing the chat gpt bard call it what you may like experience to to messenger and whatsapp now this for this to be functional i'm sure they'll do their own kind of chat gpt bard version that you can chat with and they'll Call it, God knows what they'll call it, but where I think this will be a kind of game changer for them is by extending this into businesses. One of the things that separates Facebook or Meta from all of the other tech companies is the user base for their big chat apps. Messenger and WhatsApp are massive. The, the global adoption of these two chat tools is huge for both consumers and businesses. Now, in uh, certainly in Asia, I know in India, WhatsApp is one of the primary channels of communicating with companies these days. Um, we're seeing more and more customer support queries being dealt with on Facebook Messenger around the world. We're seeing marketing, um, direct marketing being done through Messenger and through through WhatsApp. If Facebook or Meta can get their language models plugged in to business data, I think this is going to be a an absolute showstopper. We keep talking about, we've mentioned it a few times in recent weeks, that increasingly the differentiator is the UX. Make it easy for people to use the AI without necessarily having to have you know, any technical knowledge or you just, just make it easy for me to do it. That's why chat GPT was an overnight success because it made using AI as simple as using WhatsApp. If Facebook can do that with, let's say, enabling companies to connect their customer data, their CRM, whatever it may be, um, to Facebook's business suite, for example, and then given that everybody can log into apps and services these days with Facebook, you know, sign in with Facebook, log in with Facebook, Facebook Authenticator, all of that kind of stuff. Um, if I can log in and then can just fire off a message to a customer support AI in Messenger and it knows who I am because of all the authentication and it's pulling in data in real time because it's connected to the, to the relevant database, like ChatSpot, you know, like we're seeing with or expecting to see people be able to do with with hubspot's chat spot i think that's going to be immensely powerful now if that's not where they're planning on taking it mark please have the idea and, and run with it um, my only concern there would be that over the over recent years every time i try to use meta's business suite i find it more and more infuriating every time i have to log in and do even the most simple task so Whilst they might want to do this, I think they'll still make it incredibly hard for businesses to actually be able to implement it. Mm. Usability is key, right? We talk a lot about UX on the podcast and how the magic at the moment, I think there is absolute technical wizardry, but that seems to be something that lots of companies have access to. It's how wonderfully easy and perhaps almost... Um, magic in the background that you can actually make your tool 
and that will be what helps a company win and and i agree i mean on the whatsapp front there's a number of companies um we talked to one i was about the tool i was trialing where it's basically like an advisor on anything you want like mindfulness it's like oh i want to how can i be calmer in these situations you can get advice from this app and um here's a business decision i need to make and you can get advice from this app so i think third parties are already leaning into whatsapp to do that and if facebook can basically gobble up a lot of that before other apps can get in it makes sense and we've talked previously on the podcast about where the big companies have their moats well it may not be the large language models because there's loads of them there's open source ones and they're all pretty good now but i was doing some googling while you were talking and according to some research from from last year about this time last year whatsapp had around 2.25 billion monthly users and according to another bit of research that would at the time would have made it the world's most popular messaging app that's a fairly chunky moat in terms of having a, a you know 25 percent of the world's population give or take maybe 30 percent of the world's population using your tool you know monetize that um and of course i'm sure they're already thinking all of this it'd be brilliant martin if me and you were coming up with ideas that their teams of strategists haven't thought of i think it's yeah, unlikely wouldn't it just wouldn't it just um, have that one for free mark yeah Even like get in touch week. with the podcast we'll like, we don't mind you. having you on yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll make space <laughs> to be honest he won't stop messaging me on linkedin and this might be the bit where i have to finally say <laughs> all right mark you can come on you'd be very welcome but we can only give you 15 minutes um yeah, so so some interesting stuff there. And I think we should, as marketers, it's what channels we have to reach our audiences. As you said, a lot of businesses are already using WhatsApp, but what ways might we make that even better and even easier for our audiences, leveraging the data we have about our products and services, plus the data that then Meta has about our customers in order to really provide personalized customer service and product recommendations and all those great things at scale using a messenger app like WhatsApp, right? We've got to be imagining what these things might look like, what type of data and systems and processes we might need internally to take advantage of those opportunities. Just on that, I, I, it would be nice, and I hope the industry heads this way in the near future. If there was, if we if we saw some standardizations and standardized protocols across the industry to help companies make their data more accessible to things like AI chatbots. Um, now, I know that with ChatGPT uh, plugins, the idea was that basically you would natural language the connection <laughs> to the, your database. You could basically say, this is our data, this is what it looks like, and off you go, and it would figure it out yourself. Maybe that is the way it's going to go, but some something akin to like website schema markup that, that just says exactly what is in your database if there was that that would help us to standardize a connection between let's say open ai versus messenger and whatsapp and then you know some sort of google chat interface and make our make our content easily searchable crawlable and accessible to users and um, that would that would be nice particularly for you know not enterprise businesses but, but large businesses and smes that want to make their customer data accessible via these kinds of chat-based interfaces yeah i think it's an interesting one it's one of the uh, you know when's the best time to plant a tree 10 years ago when's the second best time to plant the tree today and if you're a business that's not thinking about your data as an asset 
And more importantly, how that data is structured so you can leverage it as an asset. Now is the day to start thinking about that. I think the thing that will be really interesting, because I think you're absolutely mm -hmm. right, mine, even, even similar fields of data in similar systems work very differently. Like anybody who's tried to do a sync between Salesforce and HubSpot will know all the ways it can break in completely unexpected ways because of what HubSpot calls a contact and Salesforce calls a contact and a difference between a lead and even difference between a MQL in one company versus another. Things that seem like they should be pretty standard between systems and between businesses are not. And so I, I wonder if it's kind of a bet. Do I bet that those with structured data will be able to move fast to monetize their data through these tools and win, in which case invest time and energy in structuring the data I already have? Because a lot of companies already have a lot of data. Or do I bet that a lot of these companies that are pumping up, I think, is it scale.ai mm, one yeah. that springs to mind to basically come in and help extract the insights from your unstructured data to be able to then build models and stuff on top of them. And as they mature, will there almost be out of the box AI driven models themselves that can crawl all your disparate data and figure out how it should connect to other bits of your data and basically turn unstructured data into structured data for you without you having to do anything. That would be the bet, right? Mm. Because if that, if, if that appears in the next year or two or less, then any effort you put into structuring your data might be wasted. So, so I think it's a difficult one to know how it's going to play out. One thing is for certain, structured data about your business, about your customers, about your market that you can leverage in intelligent ways to provide better customer service, improve your marketing, improve your products. People have been saying data is the new oil for years, and I think we're going to see how AI tools are going to help get some of that oil out of the ground. Yep. Although that analogy always just does make me think of how bad things are when there's a leak. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So after we were about to put the podcast live, we noticed a story that we thought we should feature. So here's a little addendum to the big stories this week. And this big story is about the CRM company Salesforce, who I'm sure many of you will know, debuting two new generative AI products this week as part of the company's connections conference. And those products are called Marketing GPT and Commerce GPT, plugging into Salesforce's Marketing Cloud and Commerce Cloud products. So in essence, why is this important? Well, I guess the first thing is they're rolling this out in phases. So you, if you are a Salesforce user, you may not have access to these yet, but you hopefully will in the future um, and in essence these are kind of cool um, because what they're going to allow is a number of different things so marketing cloud users should be able to put in natural language prompts to query the data in their in their um, in their salesforce implementation and identify new audience segments to target they could also ask einstein gpt to write or modify personalized emails complete with subject lines and body content for their campaigns. And they can use typeface within the platform to create contextual visual assets for specific contacts. That's pretty powerful and pretty interesting. In addition to this, 
there's going to be some other things that can be done that were going to be valuable for marketers also, including the creation of personalized shopping experiences. So Marketing GPT uses Data Cloud and Einstein GPT to allow users to not only create dynamic product descriptions for digital storefronts, but also to have those descriptions translated into different languages for different target audiences. So quite interesting stuff, actually. The original article comes to us from VentureBeat, so it's worth Googling. Um, but yes, Salesforce, maybe, I know Einstein um, has been around for a while, but been a little bit quiet on the generative AI front. And it looks like the these two products, the um, Marketing GPT and Einstein GPT, could be opening up some really interesting applications for marketers who use Salesforce that will very likely make it faster and easier to create content for your customers and prospects, but also easier to create hyper-personalized content at scale. So very interesting stuff from Salesforce. Right, let's get on to the last bit this week because the lovely folks really stuck with us and we appreciate it. Let's talk about Gen 2. So for those that are not aware, there is a really cool um, web-based tool called um, RunwayML that has a whole suite of clever image editing and video editing and image creation and video creation tools. And Runway ML made a bit of a splash at the start of the year when they launched Gen 1, which was a video tool where you could feed it an image and it would create a, a sh very short snippet of video based on that image. Then Gen 2 came along where you could do the same thing, but with a text prompt. So you just write a simple tense text prompt you get, I don't know, was it three or four seconds of video? So we've been having a play, haven't we, Martin? Because obviously, if as marketers, if we can produce high quality video from a simple text prompt, that opens up a load of creative avenues for us to be able to produce video at scale. What have what have your thoughts been with your with your access to Gen Two? Been playing with this for the past uh, day or so. Uh, tried out a few different styles. Uh, the first thing that I tried was a prompt which simply said, uh, two British men recording a podcast in a dimly lit studio with neon lights. And it's a curious one, I'll be honest, because it, it, it can't count as there are three men in the scene. It has got the dimly lit, it, it does have the kind of aesthetic of a, a darkly lit studio with some neon lights. But the three men in the image are all identical. It's as if three British triplets had uh, had recorded this podcast. That was a bit of a, a curiosity. The videos are all, um, like you say, about four seconds long. Um, they have some of the strange, um, well, I don't even know how you would call it, just just objects merging into one another like, the hand suddenly becomes part of the table and then comes out of the table again. Uh, what I have found when I tried more abstract things, so um, I tried uh, hand-drawn animation. So that was part of the prompt. I said tractor racing Grand Prix line-drawn, hand-drawn animation, and it basically came just gave me a static image of a of a tractor. Like there was very little movement in it at all didn't really give me tractor racing. I was trying something for my toddler, you know. I found things like animation 
it, it just doesn't really vibe with very well at all. I haven't had any good results with it. I've tried three or four variants. Uh, one that I have had a great deal of success with was, um, so I said a ginger haired woman using her iPhone stock video, professional video. And that was, that was it. And it's actually given me a, a decent clip. Um, it, it works quite well. It, there's no immediate things that are ghoulish or the artifacts aren't really bad. Now the file size for all of these images of videos is about three to 400 kilobytes. So they're really short and basically they're, they're just like little GIFs. And for that purpose, I think if anywhere that you might stick a little GIF, so in a blog post, maybe on something on social, uh, they, they can be quite, quite useful. You do have to play around with them a lot. And I don't think with the monthly subscription, you, you don't get huge amounts of, of generation credits, but overall, I've, you know, taking a few words and turning it into a, into an image when you find the styles that work, for instance, professional videography, stock video library, and putting that into the prompt, you can get something that looks pretty decent. Yeah, I, I, I think my experiences have been the same. I asked for two fighter jets fighting alien mm -hmm. spacecraft over an alien planet, and I got multitude of jet-like sub subjects flying in the sky that weren't really jets. They were like three jets had all been smashed together to create this strange flying thing. It, just, it didn't work, to be honest. I also asked for a video of Tom Cruise playing basketball. And for that, I got um, a couple of male figures that, are, that look like humans, but none of them look anything like Tom Cruise. And then it didn't animate yeah, at it's all. It's the lack of animation that's interesting. And I think they're experiencing this quite a lot because if you... Under each generation, there's a five-star rating. So if you give it a rating and you give it a low rating, it comes up with, it's got like six um, six options to choose from. And one of them is just that it doesn't move. So it must be one of the yeah. common um, common issues that they're facing. Yeah, I saw, I saw that as well. And I think soliciting this type of feedback tells me they know this doesn't work very well yet. Yeah. Um, and they want this type of feedback to improve the models. My spidey sense tells me that one of the reasons you got better outputs when you tried to talk about stock videography is the training data. Yeah, 100%. So when, when I look at my Tom Cruise um, output, some of that is almost entirely going to be driven by the training data. Like it doesn't have a video or anything close to an image of Tom Cruise playing basketball. And so it has literally no hope of producing it. Whereas I bet if I try to get something that I know there's plenty of stock video out there for, or plenty of stock imagery for, um, I reckon it would probably do a better job. So I guess for those marketers out there, as Martin summed it up, you might be able to get some interesting gifts out of this. They're going to be very specific use cases that work right now and, and loads that don't. You're probably going to have to iterate a lot to get close to something that you like, and then you're probably going to run out of credits. Um, so it's probably not quite there yet. But like all of these things, we do recommend you have a play because it's really important to just be informed about what tools are out there and how they're emerging and how they're developing and which ones are good for what. Um, because this space is going to continue to move quickly. And I think the best thing marketers can do is make sure they know how to augment themselves to 
get more done in less time, be more creative and all that good stuff. I have a question for you on, on this. Tools on. like Runway and, and companies like Runway, do you think that they are, how, how do you think they're going to stack up when, you know, when Adobe get into this game or Canva or any of the big players in this space? What do I think is going to happen? Do you think they um, have a, do, do, do you think they'll just get crushed or, or, or what? Are they, are they just a curiosity at the moment or where's their space in the market? I think, I think it comes back to users and moats, you know, like so many creatives and even non-creatives have Photoshop installed already, want to do cool stuff. The fact that I could just download the beta quite quickly and start playing and it was good at some things that a lot of other tools are not made it very accessible. I want to love Runway. Mm. I love yeah. some of the things it can do. Some, uh, we talked about in like the first or second episode of the podcast, we tried to edit the video for the podcast and the transcript it produced was brilliant. There was hardly any errors in it, but goodness me, editing the errors out because it was a web-based app was so slow as to be like, I was like, look, I don't care if there are errors now. Like it's just too painful. Whereas um, if I was in Premiere Pro and Adobe, I could make edits very quickly because there's no real lag in terms of how the tool works. But I made loads more errors in the in the um, in the in the transcript. So personally, I think they're going to struggle to maintain applications and tools that they can keep unique. And unless their user experience is awesome and the editing the video user experience was not awesome and that's why I binned it, they're going to struggle because they are the ones that, ha that have to get us to jump ship. Mm, yep. They yep. have to give us a compelling reason to make this the place where we get that thing that we need done to this image or this video. And unless, uh, yeah, like I say, unless they can come up with something that other tools can't do. And I think the evidence so far is that the major companies are not struggling to replicate what other people can build. That's how it is so far. Then they have to be absolutely incredible in terms of usability. And let's not forget, Adobe's had decades to improve the usability of its tools. And in essence, it's trained people to use its tools by having people just have to use the left side but where do i go for the lasso it's on the left side or it's a fourth down like we know how all of that works um so personally i probably wouldn't be in and this is not investment advice because we are not in that business but personally i probably wouldn't be in investing in them because i think i think i think it's going to be hard for them mm. yeah I, I do at the moment I, I find it a curiosity and something that's kind of fun to watch develop but so far just seeing where the and because they are pushing boundaries that's the interesting thing with them they and that's what i like about them i really respect them from that perspective but it's the usability and again it just comes back to we you know third or fourth time we've mentioned it today it's having the right ux and the, the right usability that makes people go yes this is so seamless and frictionless and and really makes my life a breeze and at the moment it's like oh this is a interesting curiosity i can make something that isn't quite a very convincing stock image and but you see you raise such a really important point though because i think the ecosystem as it stands right now is critical because i do think that runway do loads of the cool stuff and they launch it really early you could argue before chat gpt went nuclear that was kind of a 
we're a small, you know, at the time in terms of the mindset, we're an agile, small brand. We, you know, Google were like, well, we don't want to launch anything or release anything before it's ready, which how much longer would we have waited for these tools if chat GPT hadn't come out mm-hmm. and open AI hadn't just gone, look, let's just get it out. Let's just ship. Runway's attitude to its tools is ship, 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 ship. And we get to play with innovative stuff. Therefore, we shouldn't probably be too down or critical of things when like Gen 2, when they're not really working as well as we'd all like. But that's because they're getting out there so we can play with them. So if the ecosystem is boiled down to Adobe, Microsoft and Google, that is not going to be good, I would argue, for the actual innovation and the emergence of awesome new tools for us to play with. So let's hope that they do do reasonably well because we need them around. Yeah, I want to. I do want to see them thrive, um, but I just want to see the use cases beyond interest and curiosity at the moment, which is currently where I feel like it is. Agreed. Right. I think with that, we'll sign off. Um, remember to follow us on the Twitters, where the handle is Martin AI Marketing Pod. Woo! That's us. Visit us at artificiallyintelligentmarketing.com where you can subscribe to get blog updates and you'll find us on all your favorite podcasting platforms. And if you love this and this is your first time, please subscribe. Uh, And if you know someone who works in marketing that might benefit from us doing all the hard work of keeping up to date on the latest news that you need to know so that you don't have to, then please do share it. Right. Thanks, Martin. Yes, Paul. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Artificially Intelligent Marketing. To stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, be sure to subscribe. We look forward to seeing you again next week.